Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Dan Locke, author of The Unlock It Book. And if you want to unlock better relationships in life, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with our good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Build Your Network. Today, I have the distinct pleasure of sitting down with Dan Locke. Dan is the chairman of Dragon 100, the world's most exclusive advisory board for entrepreneurs who want to create generational wealth in the age of disruption. A fan favorite, Dan is routinely featured in major TV, radio, magazine, and streaming outlets. And he's able to command as much attention on a single YouTube video as he does on Fox Business News, MSNBC, CNBC, Forbes, Inc. Entrepreneur, and Business Insider. After an appearance, the response from the audience is immediate, consistent, and connected. And he has absolutely mastered turning complicated ideas into consumer conversation. Guys, it's going to be such a fun conversation. Dan and I were able to connect a little bit further on his show a couple of weeks back. And uh, we're able to build a little bit more context so we can bring uh, an even more interesting conversation to the table. Now a little bit more focused on Dan. I can't wait to get into that. But first, really quickly, if you are a content creator or podcaster yourself, or if you want to be a guest on more shows to advertise whatever it is that you have going on, uh, maybe whether it's a book launch or a product launch, whatever it might be, 
then head over to guestio.com. It is the new software that my team and I put together to help connect you to guests for your show or help connect you as a guest to other shows to be on. So guestio.com, go over there, create a free account. You can browse through a bunch of uh, different guests that are on there that are totally free to book, or you can get people who are a little bit more in demand and you can actually pay for their time to bring them on your show uh, so you can guarantee that you get it done right here, right now. That's guestio.com guestio.com. Dan, what's up, man? Thanks so much for joining me on the show. Hey, Travis, you make my bio sound so good. I should just hire you for professional voiceover. <laughs> yeah, please do, man. I'm a traveling MC. I'm a traveling I, MC. I yeah. love that. I love that. <laughs> well, cool, man. Hey, thanks for joining me. I want to jump in, build some context here. And I just want to say first off that I read your book a little while back now, actually, mm. and was completely fascinated by your story. I absolutely love everything about how you got into this world. And it yes. shows to me the value of just taking action and moving in a direction and not really knowing exactly what's going to happen down the road. But then if you just right. continue down pushing and pushing and working and getting better and acquiring skills then you can end up at a really good place in life no matter where you started. And so let's go ahead and get into that for a second here. And let's build some context for those listening. Talk to me about eight-year-old, nine-year-old Dan, you know, family life, where you're growing up, all those things before we jump into some of the nuts and bolts here. I was born in Hong Kong and I was a punk kid. <laughs> so, <laughs> so as a young guy, nine, 10 years old, I was just getting into a lot of trouble. Wasn't doing particularly well in school kind of a little bit rebellious like most teenagers because growing up, actually, I didn't spend a lot of time with my dad. My dad is always very busy with business and traveling. So I might see my dad once a month or something like that. So every time I remember when he comes home, like I would bring him a little, like a pair of slippers and, and like, that's because I, I give him a big hug because I see him only once a month, right? Yeah. So he's always traveling all the time. And when I was uh, 14 years old, I immigrated to Vancouver, Canada right? And coming to a country where I didn't speak the language. So it was a very tough time because I was actually living in a, in a kind of rough neighborhood. And I was one of the very few guys that there, like the Asian guys that got beat up and bullied in school. And shortly after that, when I was 16 years old, my mom and dad got divorced. And one year later, so I was 17 years old, then my dad actually went bankrupt. Wow. So his business went under. And as the only child in my family, so I had to man up. I had to grow up and mature and, and take care of my mom. And that's how I got into business because I knew I couldn't take care of my family just doing the same old, same old, or working at a dead-end job because I wasn't doing that well in school. So yeah, clearly, yeah. I couldn't get a very good job. And I knew just a job wouldn't be able to, to give me the, the financial means to support my family. So I kind of chose the, the path for entrepreneurship. So I, it's interesting because growing up, I, money never interested me. Mm. And that was like success and all these things because I was just a lazy, spoiled like teenager, right? I wasn't particularly like motivated or driven, anything like that. But because of that incident, like my dad went bankrupt. That's what changed, to change who I am in, in my core. Was there a big difference in your living situation in terms of the in terms of your family's affluence when you moved from Hong Kong to Vancouver? Yes, yes. Because I was, I would say when I was in Hong Kong, I was maybe, you could say middle class, okay. middle class, right, with my family. And it was okay. But suddenly when I came to Canada, my mom and I, we were living in a one-bedroom apartment. I was sleeping on the floor. Actually, I slept on the sleeping bag for like quite a few years. Mm. And that, that was it. So it was, it was 
like it was a change, but yeah. more it's not so much the the living condition is was more like the culture shock. Yeah. Of, right. Wow. Suddenly, I had no friends. I didn't know anybody. I, I couldn't catch up. Of course, in school, suddenly everything is in English. Yeah. So it was very very tough time. I'm trying to also through that time, trying to find myself because. You're 17, 18, 19 years old. Like, you know, what would my life be about? What should I do? Right. It's already uh, a I'm, difficult time. Yeah, so, exactly. If you don't have any of the other factors in the equation, it's already no, a difficult time. No. In life. So, yeah. so no network for sure. I didn't know yeah. about what, what the importance of network. Right. And so looking back where I am today to kind of where I came from, like I would never thought that I would be doing what I'm doing today. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a million years. Right. That I thought, oh, this is what I, what I would do. I definitely want to get into that um, in just a second. Do, do you remember how you went about learning English? Like, I mean, that's a huge... Ah, yes. I, I went to China for a couple of weeks uh, last year. My sister actually lives over yes. there. Um, yes. She teaches English over there. And yes. I've been to probably 30-something countries at this point. But yes. the most culture shock I've ever experienced was going into was going to China. And yes, yes. The, you know you know how I felt. <laughs> yeah, that I didn't have to go live there. You know, yes. I wasn't forced to look like, hey, I don't even know what that character is. You know, that's yes. the, that's the difference, right? Is like when I go travel yes. to somewhere like Central America, yes. I can at least read the word. I don't know what the word means, but at least yes. I can. You could guess. Yeah, like oh, it might be a bakery, right? It might be yes. a subway station in China. Yes. It was like. I have no idea what that could be. That could be like a butcher shop or it could be like a post office. I have no idea. And how do you order from the menu? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. If, you, if there's no pictures, you're not getting any food. You, you even look at a picture, you're not so sure what that is. <laughs> right? Yeah, so. they, they have some funky stuff in China for sure. <laughs> yeah, right? True. That's very true. So, But I, I did a number of things. I First of all, I was kind of frustrated with not being able to communicate. So I did a number of things. First of all, I made a decision of only making friends with people who speak English. So a lot of people, they try to meet friends who speak the same language. No, no, you've got like kind of a group of Korean people and Taiwanese people, right? No, I'm just like, I'm going to speak first language. I'm going to talk to meet some good friends who speak English. That's number one. So I purposely stay away from friends who speak Chinese, number one. Number two, I was listening to radio. I was watching TV, learning the, just how they speak. I would watch like TV shows and things like that. I remember back then I watched one of the movies, I think it was from Jim Carrey, one of the movies, early movies, I forgot the title. And I would go to the, the movie theater and I would understand maybe 2% what Jim Carrey was saying. Like I would have no, I can guess, but I have no idea, right? And, but as I learn and improve, I notice that I could, oh, now I could understand 10%, mm. 20%, 30%. Eventually, oh, I, I could get what, what they're talking about. So I think all those things, immersion, yeah. um, that's what, how, how, I, how I learned the language. And later on, maybe when I was 20, somewhat, 20, 21 years or something like that, then I joined Toastmasters. Okay, awesome. I yeah, was going to ask, so, how, long did, how long do you feel that it took you to be where you could really communicate with other people? Ooh, that took uh, quite a few years, like four, four or five years maybe. Yeah, right. Yes. And, and from what I understand, English is one of the more difficult languages to come in yes. and learn from that type yes. of perspective as yes. well. So. so I flung English twice when I was in high school. Uh, which I, I actually, I had stage phobia. I had stage phobia. Yeah. People don't know this. Back then when I was in high school, when I had to deliver a speech, because we had English classes and I had to deliver a speech, right? You know, Travis, when I tell this story, people just don't believe me because they look at what I do today, right? I would hide in the bathroom and I would skip the class. 
I don't want to be chosen. I don't, I don't want to do it. I was going to say, I, there's probably a bunch of English speakers that do that in speech class. Oh, yes. You know I mean, yes. So like, it, yes. I mean, it makes total sense to me that you were that guy that... I, I, just, I wouldn't do it. I yeah, wouldn't do right. it. But it's, interestingly enough, I met a, an instructor, a te- my English teacher, Miss Felland. She, she actually saw that. She discovered that I was hiding in a bathroom. Oh, no way. And then she said, you know, Dan, you, you, you got you to do your speech. Otherwise, I cannot pass you. Why don't you stay after class and I would help you, right? And she did. And she gave me the confidence. That's and awesome. finally, I had my little script and I would be like shaking and stuttering. And, you know, my face was pale, but I finished it. And then she gave me, she let me pass the course. I remember, she, Miss Felon, that's why I always remember her name. She said, you know, Dan, you didn't die. It's not so <laughs> bad, right? It's not so bad. And I think that almost planted seed in my mind in the mm-hmm. future, why I joined Toastmasters and wanting to hone my speaking skills. Years later, by the way, Travis, years later, I have published a couple books, right? Accomplishing certain success and done some speaking gigs, right? I went back to the high school and I met her and I gave her the books. That's awesome. I said, I said, I said, Miss Fallon, thank you for believing in me. I gave her, I said, I wrote these books. Remember, I, yes, I flung English many times, but <laughs> it's my books, right? And I said, now also I speak and I, I teach. And she was like, of course, she's, she was crying and I was crying and, and all that, but uh, it was it was awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. Such a special moment there. What other moments do you look back on that were big, transformative type of you know mind seeding moments like that? I would say it would be one day when I when I came home, which is my mom was in the bedroom talking on the phone with somebody, and I could hear her kind of crying. I wasn't sure what is going on, so. I knock on her doors and say, say mom's everything okay and she's like oh everything is fine don't worry i said no is everything okay and then finally she, she told me that oh you know your dad just called and he said he's going bankrupt and he couldn't send money to us anymore right because before he was sending us allowance every month to pay for everything and you know basically we are on our own now my mom is like a housewife she's never worked a day in her life so she doesn't have any ability to generate income and she definitely doesn't know how to speak the language so here I am, 17 years old, a young kid, thinking about, like, you could count on your dad, you can count on your parents, right? Now, suddenly I learned, actually, you cannot even do that. So I learned self-reliance. And that was, I think, the, the turning point for me because I looked at my mom's face. And it's the first time I saw hopelessness. Mm. It was just hopelessness. It was fear. It was, it was a face I would never want to see again. Yeah. And from that moment on, I, I changed. Like that moment on, I don't care what it takes. I don't care what I have to do. Like that dedication, that drive, from that moment on, I was a different person. So what did you do? Learning, going to the library, reading books, like talking to people, everything that I could. I need to make money. Yeah, right. So, that, so, and I mean, that's really the punchline, is, right? Yeah. It's like, well, yeah. I don't really... I can't go to college. Like I have to make money now. I have to make or money. We don't now. eat food, right? So that's right. So what did you do to go make? Oh, money? like you name me, side hustles, mowing lawns for people in the neighborhood, delivering paper, any side hustle I could get, fixing computers, whatever it takes. This was in conjunction to school, or were you done with school? In conjunction to school, no. I I still went to college, but then after one year in college, I just dropped out. Okay, got it. Because it was it was like this is a waste of time. Yeah, got it. Yes. Got it. So what was the first, the, I mean, you've always been entrepreneurial and you're doing these side gigs. And yes. when, when did side gigs start turning into more like I'm going after this thing full time? I was always trying to do something full time, but none of them really worked. So, yeah, so, yeah. so yeah, none of them would, would work. 
And so I counted, I started and failed at 13 businesses, mm. 13, until I hit about 21-ish. And then I found my first mentor. His name is Alan. And Alan took me under his wings and he taught me copywriting. Mm. He taught me marketing. He taught me how business actually works, right? And he taught me, he gave me this, the gift of, of persuasion for sure. And then after about one year of working with him, you know, for his company, kind of like a volunteer, I didn't get paid uh, for one year, but I always refer that year as like the million dollar year of my life because I got a million dollars worth of education from him on in that year. So afterwards, then I started my own one man advertising agency, kind of like Madman. And yeah. I was now 20 someone years old, 22. I was writing copy as writing sales copy for businesses and company. That's when I started to see like a little bit of financial success. Like I was probably making about $10,000 a month as a copywriter. I mean, okay. like to some, it may not be a lot of money, but back then, a young Dan Locke, 22 years old, six figure, I felt like a, a, yeah, a million bucks, right? Yeah, I'm sure. like, I've never seen so much money, right? This is crazy. Right. It's insane, no. right? Yeah. There's one story I want you to tell on that because one thing that I talk a lot about here on the show is credibility and authority through leveraging relationships and yes. leveraging the the trust that other people have taken decades of their life to build. Correct. And when you were going out on your own, you uh, back in the day with you know cassette tapes or CDs or something. You yes, put, yes. You put together. The so here's a story. So here's a story. So so I, I was twenty somewhat years old, right? I had zero credibility. Who is this guy? Who's this like Asian kid with spiky <laughs> hair and glasses writing copy? What the hell is this, right? So I thought, hmm, what can I do to leverage and actually borrow credibility from some other people, right? Because I was actually talking to a few copywriters, seasonal, experienced copywriters, right? And I was talking with them and said, so what do you do? How do you get to where you are? They all say the same thing to me. Here's what they say. Dan, you got to do a lot of free gigs. A lot of free gigs for many years. You build up your portfolio and finally you can charge a little bit of money. Then after that, then maybe then you do some pay gigs, still not too much, until, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, then you can charge what you want to charge. And I'm like, thank you very much, but no thank you because I don't have time. I need to make money, right? So I thought there has to be a better way. And that's, I think, early years, I was already entrepreneurial. I, I was looking for what is a, a shorter path, right? Like instead of, instead of taking the stairs, where's elevator, mm. right? So that's why I seek mentors and advice. So here's what I did. Uh, at the time, I approached... Before this whole podcast world, I would approach the top copywriters in the world. And I would ask them and say, hey, I'm putting together a product, kind of like a package, an information product. It's something like, you know, the greatest marketing secrets of the greatest copywriters, something like, like that, okay? Cassette tapes back in the days, right? So I approach very well-known, very well-known copywriters, Michael Masterson, like some of the biggest names you could think of, okay? Guys you can't even get to nowadays, right? I was nobody. So I would email them. I would fax them. I say, I'm putting together this product. I got the first one said yes. And then I leveraged the first one who said yes. And I said, hey, so-and-so is in this product. Do you want to be on it? Now, here's what's interesting. I approached 20, 21 people. Only one said no. They all said yes. Wow. So I learned at an early age, you don't ask, you don't get. Right. And I did ask. These are copywriters back in the days. Back in the days, think about in my early 20s, charging $8,000, $10,000, to create a campaign. These are the, the best of the best. They've sold hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars, like hundreds of millions of dollars, crazy numbers, right? So I approached them. Now, here's what's fascinating. So no one asked me my credibility, who I am and all this stuff. 
So at the time, after I have approached him and said, yes, we don't have the technology that we have today. So here's what I did. I had a cassette recorder, not the big one, the small mini one, like the small cassette tape. There was no technology. So what I did is, is landline, and I would have the cassette player, mini tape, and I would record the whole thing like this. I wish now we have that Zoom and we can record it and, and podcast all this. No, it, I did like this. So what I had to do is I had to have their voice in here and my voice here. Otherwise, it's too loud. <laughs> Otherwise, you hear my voice and hear them, right? You can't hold the recorder too close to your... You could. So, so I did this every single interview for exactly 20 minutes because 20 minutes, I had to pause. Excuse me, I got to flip the fucking tape. Flip the tape. Because <laughs> it's good. Thank you very much. Gotta give me a moment. Go flip the tape. Boom, right? Yeah, like I got to do that so interview. And I put together that package. I think I priced it at $997, $1,000, something like that at the time. It wasn't designed to sell. It was designed to be the ultimate business card. So now here's what happens. I sit down with a business owner. I was offering my service and I would give them this cassette, like boom, right? This package I put together. I said, this sells for a thousand bucks. It has some of the greatest insights from all these great copywriters, right? And they listen to it. And I would have, I had my friend, a friend of mine interview me and I put one of my interviews in there and they would see, oh, these guys charging 15, you know, thousand dollars and all that. And I said, I charge a fraction of that. A fraction of that, right? And I'm here sitting in front of you right now, right? And that's how I was pitching, quote unquote, my services. And they love it. They love it. To your credit, that pulls in a huge psychological principle called social proof. Yes. Social proof, when mixed with credible and authoritative brands, is that much more, which is exactly what you were using. I wanted you to tell that story because I think that it's, it's such a good example of what we talk about here on the show so often. And is a good example of how the people that you think are super inaccessible probably aren't quite as inaccessible as you think they are. The way to make sure that they are for sure inaccessible is to never reach out. And That's why like, I, have very, I have very little patience with people. Oh, you know, Dan, I don't know the people. I don't have enough contacts. Like, right. I, I see this a lot. I, I don't know. I don't have the contacts. I said, contacts are not something that you have. Contacts are something that you go get. Right. No one, is, no one is born with a list of contacts, right? So I didn't know anybody. I couldn't speak the language. So there's no excuse. And when you think about when you approach these people, a lot of time it comes from our own insecurities that we don't want to approach them. Very often they get actually, they don't get too many people approaching them. Not, not as many as you think. I'll right. give you another example, okay? When I go to events, here's a great tip. When I go to any kind of events, when we could before the whole COVID-19 thing, when I see a speaker's, Here's what most people do. After a speaker finishes their talk, everybody's rushing to them, right? Everybody's like, all this stuff, and then they, 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 they're crowded by hundreds of people. They don't remember who you are. Here's what I always do. This is when I was younger. Before the speaking gig, I would already know who is speaking, right? And I would approach them. I would email them and say, hey, do you need a ride going from airport to the hotel? I'm a big fan, da-da-da-da-da. Some say no, but some said yes. No one ever asked, I'm telling you. And then also after speaking gig, usually, he's the, let's say it's a three-day event. All of them have to eat. All of them want to decompress. Yeah. Okay? Sometimes what you don't notice when everybody's in, let's say, in the event, they could be in the hallway, they could be in a restaurant, they could be in a cafe. That's when you go approach them, right? And I, I could not tell you how many times, it's just in, in the bar, something like that, I go approach them. I, I get to spend two, three hours of quality time with these speakers, no one knows. They don't understand the timing. They don't understand how to approach them. Yeah, I lo- love the tactics, love the practical approach there. And it's just, it's just because it's so simple. 
You know it's what so I mean? Simple. Like it's, there's people try to complicate everything because it seems like it's something that's so out of their reach. So no that, gimmicks. Yeah. Now, nowadays, what we do is even smarter. You'll love this. So when we go to certain events, right, I would bring my, now I'll bring my team. I would bring the camera and my team would approach all the key people that we want to meet and set up. So I would book my room and I book an extra room just to do yeah. interviews. Yep. So I would, we would post speakers from the events throughout the whole two, three days and knocked out a whole bunch of interviews. Not only we create content, but now I have a one-on-one. So the, the action, the business doesn't happen in the event. It's outside the event, exactly. outside the seminar, right? This Who is- would do that? No one would spend the money to get extra room and no one would want to spend extra money to get the camera people. But in this way, I just, out of like 2,000 people, I just connected with the, the top, the cream of the crop. I right. only want to connect with that 20 people. Yep. That was it. I've done, I've done the same exact thing at events yes. is get a, that separate suite that has some room to set up and bring exactly. some person, set up some interviews and exactly. uh, with those connections, man. I could it not- It works. It works. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. I want to get back into your story a little bit here, Dan. Mm. Talk to me. So you're now in your 20s. You're making some pretty good money for really for copywriting for a young person for sure. So talk to me then about next steps. How do you like, there's a lot of things, a lot of different businesses that you tackle in the process from then until now. Can you kind of walk us through what those are and like, you know, a a fairly, fairly quick time period if you can. Sure. Sure. So, so from there, uh, there was one story, the one more story I want to, I want to share during the period of time. So as as a copywriter, so I was trying to close clients, talking them with on the phone and things like that. And then it was one particular phone call. And I always remember that phone call that I was talking with a prospect, okay? And he found me on, on internet and we were talking and he's asking me about my cooperating services. Okay, a few minutes into the phone call, he said, stop. I said, uh, what's going on? Stop. 
He said, you're full of shit. I said, what? He said, since the beginning of the phone call, you've already made like multiple grammatical errors. I don't think you're that good of a copywriter. You cannot be. And he hung up on me. And I was shocked. I was hurt. And I actually cried after the phone call. Because just as a young guy, was, it, it, I'm okay with rejection. But I, I'm just, I have never felt something like that before. And from that moment on, I vouched to myself, I will never, ever want to experience this again. That's actually from copywriting, why I kind of throw myself into learning sales. I said, I don't want to talk to prospects where they can walk all over me. I want to be able to have control over the conversations. From then on, I was, this is how I kind of transitioned into learning an additional skill, not just copywriting, writing copy, right? But also closing, right? And I didn't know that from then on, like fast forward today, that I would be teaching sales and, and closing persuasion to so many students around the world. But that planted a seed in my mind. So from closing, from copywriting, and then I was actually doing some consulting as well, because when I was doing copywriting, a lot of business owners, they would ask me, well, Dan, how do I use this marketing piece and things like that? So it's, fascin it's fascinating. Here I am, 23, 22 years old, and now I'm consulting with all these business owners who are actually way more successful than me, right? But during that process, I learned a ton about businesses because every single day I was solving problems. So because I would be talking to this client, right? Because like I'm learning through them. So within a very short period of time, I was learning a lot about how business work and things like that, right? So this is how kind of we people look at even now today, right? I'm 39 years old. Next year, I'm 40 years old. Why I am experienced because I got a lot of experience early, early on, right? And from there uh, with you could say timing, a little bit of luck actually went online early, right? I was selling stuff on eBay, was doing affiliate marketing. I was selling things on ClickBank. I had multiple products on ClickBank. I was making a lot of money. Back then, was even pay-per-click was cheap. Mm, like, yeah. it cost us next to nothing, right? It was easy to get ranked on number. And at one, at one point, I had my website back then. Uh, when you search copywriting, I was number two. Wow. My first page, like, it's like a license what, to print money. Oh, that was... So I was 23, 24. Okay. So yeah, four, 15 years, something like that. Early, early on. Of, of online marketing, really. Yeah, yeah. It's like, so, so I was very early. So now people look at me, oh, you know, Dan, like, he's like blowing up. He came out of nowhere because they see the social media. I'm like, I've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> just people don't know about it, right? 15-year so, overnight success, yeah. Yeah, it's not like that at all. It's just, so a lot of those skills that I've accumulated, it put into that, right? So yeah, from there, I mean, it's great. Got an e-commerce. So I've always been a serial entrepreneur. I was never a one, like one company kind of guy. I was always been. A, so even now, that's why we have a portfolio of companies, right? So yeah. fast forward to today, there was another huge transition in, in my career where I was teaching, I was speaking, then I got burned out. So it's interesting because Travis, when I was even in my late 20s, when I was teaching about marketing and digital marketing, kind of sharing with what I do. Because when I was marketing online, because of my marketing background, back then the long sales page and everything is all about copywriting. Mm -hmm. So as I paper click, it's copywriting, right? I was doing that. My other business friends and owners were asking me, well, Dan, how do you do this thing? Like, how are you selling online, right? Then I would show them, well, you kind of do this and this and this and this. And to them, it's like magic, mm -hmm. right? They said, no, no, this is good. Can you, can you, can you show us more? I said, what do you mean show you more? Just do this, yeah. right? No, 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 no. Like we want steps. Like how do you set this up and all that? Before you know it, I had two, three people. And before you know it, I was doing a seminar. 
before you know it, it's a two-day thing. And that's kind of, I kind of stumbled into this whole teaching world, right? So I was speaking and teaching business owners, but unlike most, my majority of my revenue comes from doing what I teach. Yeah. Like maybe a small percentage, I don't know, 10, 20% from teaching, right? But then it grew and grew and grew. So my businesses grew and grew. And then from here, so now I've got the two kind of businesses going on, right? two, two worlds that I'm living in. Until then, I got burned out from the teaching part and actually then retired for a period of time just from teaching because mm. I was traveling, speaking. I'm like, no, I want to mind my own businesses, right? So from that period of time, you will see then other people and, and you have all these other experts and you could say gurus popping out of nowhere. That's when I found out, you know what? Actually, I don't mind the teaching part. Now my businesses are more successful. Okay, maybe I could go back and just do a little bit of it. Yeah. Even as a hobby. Well, before you know it, that just exploded because of YouTube, because of social media. And here we are. Brings us to today. Yeah. yeah. Give us a glimpse of uh, some of the companies that you guys have now in your portfolio. Closers.com, copywriters.com, instantscripts.com, right? This is just feel. And then we just invested in another company in France called the Greenbow Group, which they have a portfolio of 12 companies. I'm on the board on that com- for that company. And then we're still looking at a whole, a whole bunch of companies right now. Yeah. yeah. And so many things that I, that, I, that I got questions for. I know we're coming up here to the end, but I want to zero in on the closers part of it. And as you know, from our previous conversation as well, yes. I uh, kind of have a soft spot in my, in my heart for, for salespeople. Because you did door-to-door sales, yes. Door-to-door, man, for a long time. And yes. I've found, because I've taken so many sales trainings, and yes. I never really fully resonated with a lot of them mm. because of the uh, common denominator that you and I share of not liking the old school closer mentality um, that is more becoming outdated, especially with the age of information. And I think that if you're holding on to those old school closer tactics, that you're probably going to be pushed out of the equation here really quickly. So can you give us just an idea of, of what that means practically and just maybe top one or two tips to help anybody that's listening to this right now be a better salesperson? Yes. So the methodology that I pioneer is called high-ticket closing, right? The art of high-ticket closing. Because that's what I've been always doing in my whole career, selling high-ticket products or services. And if you're selling something like at a dollar store for 10, 20 bucks or in a mall versus you're selling something for 5, 10, 20, 50, 100K, it's a completely different thing. It's a different sale, right? Because you're not selling just the item. You're actually selling the emotions, the experience, right? So my whole methodology in the simplistic term is this. We don't sell, we turn the prospect into a salesperson. So we let the prospect do most of the talking, right? Because I believe that when you say something, it means something. When the prospect says something, it means everything. Mm. So instead of us pushing features and benefit, why I should buy and all that, right? I would ask questions because whoever asks the questions controls the conversation, Mm. right? And then we will lead the prospects to the sale. So every single thing that we're asking during a sales conversation, we're leading them to the sale, but without them feeling we're pushing them. So you know how, Travis, you read like traditional sales books, oh man, 37 ways to close a sale or uh, 1,057 ways to, to close something. I'm like, this is like reading a book on martial art, 1,007 ways to throw a, a kick. I'm like, if your kick is good, one kick would be enough, right? So I'm a kind of one kick kind of guy. You know, my, my closing line, like my most favorite, what would you like to do next? I don't do the AB close, like the puppy dog close, and then you, I don't do any of that. What would you like to do next? That's my closing line. Like, so what I do is very invisible. So by the time they get to the closing stage, that when we're ready to transact, 
they want to do it. Right. Not because like I push them. Another thing I do, most sales guys, they wait till the end to talk about money. The way I teach, you talk about money up front. So almost everything I do is just the opposite. Most sales, sales method, they talk about uh, establishing report in the beginning, right? How's the weather? Oh, where you live? And oh, how are the kids? I call that pretentious report. You don't give a shit. They don't give a shit. We don't do any of that. Instead of going in, you have the what I call the doctor frame. You don't shoot the breeze. You don't you know be you know talk about BS. You get to the why you're on the call. So I like to do like what I call set the agenda. Like I, I will say something like this example. Instead of hey, how's the weather? Hey, Travis, it's good to see. You. Like all this stuff, it's so it's so fake. I would go right into it. I would say something like, I'll just let's say, give you an example, right? Hey, Travis, uh, I can see that you book a time with me and I'm happy that we're having this conversation. Exactly what do you want to get out of this call today? I just go into it, right? And then you would say, oh, you know, Dan, what I want to do is A, B, C, and D. Then I would right up front, set agenda, something like this. I say, hey, Travis, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you some questions. By the end of our conversations, you could say a couple things to me. You could say yes, which is good. That means I could help you right? That can, we can move forward. And that's, that's good. You could say no. And I want you to know it's perfectly okay to say no to me. You take the pressure off. Mm-hmm. Now, the third thing that you could say, which I don't want you to is maybe, or I want to think about it. Because from my experience, when someone tells me I want to think about it, or maybe what they mean is no, I prefer just tell me a no. Could we agree on that before we move forward? Now I'll set the agenda. Now, by the end of my conversation, they're not going to tell me a maybe. I do that in the beginning. Yeah. I, I want to handle all of that before it even comes up. So that's just like one tiny bit of example. That's perfect. That's a perfect example. So if anybody uh, wants to learn a little bit more from Dan, which like I said, I've taken a ton of sales trainings that if I would recommend anybody's sales trainings, it would probably be Dan. So um, Dan, where, where can people, where can people go to, to find that? Now, the easiest way is just go to highticketclosers.com. They can watch a free webinar, right? And they'll get some information. Now, they're not going to get the training from the webinar. I want to be absolutely transparent. But it gives an overview of the program, uh, kind of like a preview, right? If they want to, then they can take the, our seven-week uh, certification program, which is interesting, Travis. The way I teach, I train is I would teach them the techniques, and then we have our community, now over 10,000 students worldwide. Uh, they would role play. I call that a verbal dojo. So <laughs> you learn a technique and then you will actually connect with all the other students and you would role play, yeah. right? How do you open? How do you set the agenda? How do you close? And this is the only way to get good because reading a script, it, it, that's not what this is. You notice the way I sell, I don't use a script at all. Yeah, right, right. I do not believe in scripts at all. So high, highticketclosers.com for those of you who want to perfect your sales ability. And if this is not something that you're confident in, it is of paramount importance if you're going to generate money, especially online and especially these days. Um, you got to be able to uh, stand out from all the other bad salespeople that exist out there. So. And, and think about like, Travis, what, what your show is about. It's about building a network. Yes. Right? I always say closing equals income. It doesn't matter if you're selling a product or service or you're selling yourself or you're connecting with somebody. You're closing all the time. It doesn't matter if you're in business or not in business, right? For those who have, who, who your parents have kids, you're selling your kids veggie, not chocolate, right? <laughs> Do your homework, don't watch TV. You're selling all the time, right? If you're single, believe me, you are selling. Okay, <laughs> yeah. you absolutely need to sell. In fact, if you're single, chances are you need to work on your closing skill, right? <laughs> so, so it's like all these things, it's not about closing. It's interesting because I have so many students who come through my program. It's not just they're selling something. It, it helps them improve their relationships. 
Because to be a good closer, the number one skill is actually not talking, mm. it's listening. Yeah. They learn to listen. And in a society, people don't know how to listen, right? Now I'm doing an interview, so I'm saying I'm talking a lot, but if I'm actually having conversation, you'll notice I actually talk very little. Yeah. My entire conversation will be just asking questions, asking questions, asking questions. So it's not even a sales skill, I think it's a life skill. Sure. And I totally agree with that. And if you want proof of that, you can go listen to my episode on Dan's show because uh, he was very, very much that way in that interview. And a lot of times when I get interviewed by people who are really knowledgeable, um, sometimes they, they do you know, tend to hog the mic a little bit more and want to talk a little bit more. But when I, when I was on your show, Dan, I know that you did a really good job of being prepped and asking good questions and leaving the conversation like a true interviewer and conversationalist should be. So I right. want, to, want to acknowledge you for that. So uh, we're, we're getting down to the last bit here, Dan. I, I got to ask you this question because it's the one I've asked every single guest that's ever come on the show. Curious to hear your answer. Who you know or what you know? Which of those two do you view as being more important and why? Okay, it's not just, people say it's not just what you know, it's who you know. But I think that's half the formula, half the formula, 50%. I think it's also who knows you. Mm. I think nowadays it's getting known, getting attention, being on social media. One thing that changed my career, really changed my business career, is getting known. Now, not for the sake of being famous, because I always say fame without fortune is frustration. (laughs) So it's not about, it's about rich and famous, not just famous, right? It's rich first and famous. So by getting known in terms of business, you become the buyer instead of the seller because the world comes to you. So like Travis creating content, connecting with people, people like the content, they, they contact him, promote his business, whatever that you want to promote. So you know somebody, that's good, but to me, that is still linear. Because you and I, we can have a conversation, we know each other, right? But through the power of content and social media, you could have 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 5,000 people, 10,000 people. Getting to know you, me, right? Getting to know your message, your story, that's leverage. That's very powerful. I think, so I think you need to work on both. Couldn't agree more, man. Uh, let's go to move into the last segment, something I like to call the random round. Quick, random questions, okay. random answers. Ready? Okay. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Open a martial arts school. If you could sit on a park bench with someone past or present and chat for an hour, who would it be? Jack Ma. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, videos? Audio. So audio books or podcasts. What would be one of your favorite audiobooks? Ooh, that's a tough one. I think recently I've been listening to The Hot Things About Hot Things. The Hot Things. Yes, that's a good book. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. Drink two huge glasses of water in the morning. I do my attitude gratitude in the morning, right? It's like a meditation exercise, right? I like to do stretching in the morning. I like to get my blood flowing, right? Then I review uh, about what we are, what I want to accomplish for that day, like the main task. Yeah, those would be the main things. What is your go-to pump-up song? Rocky. <laughs> Actually, I had a Rocky rope uh, like right outside of my studio right here, like signed by uh, Sly right there. Oh, so nice. Rocky, yes. That's awesome. That's awesome. What is something besides business, setting business aside, what's something that you're just not very good at? Oh, <laughs> a long list. <laughs> uh, <laughs> probably the worst, cooking. 
That's a, that's a solid one. Yeah, that's a solid one. <laughs> what, okay. uh, as we get everything wrapped up here, Dan, what's the one place online where our listeners can go to connect with you the most? I think uh, danlaw.com, my main website, has kind, of, has kind of the hub that branches out to everything. So danlaw.com. Perfect. Danlock.com. That's L-O-K. Danlock.com. And so head over there, check out some of the stuff that Dan has. He's got an awesome YouTube channel, puts out content over there. He's got a great podcast and uh, is really just all over the place. So danlock.com, go connect there wherever you like to connect to the most. Dan is there and he's providing value. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today, brother. Appreciate it. Fantastic conversation. That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.